got me on. And I guess the rest of you cheerings get to stay in here with me. All right, well, good morning, Lighthouse. Uh, Turn in your Bibles this morning to John chapter 8, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. John chapter 8, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. On March 22nd, 1824, there was an incident that took place in Madison County, Indiana, which came to be known as the Fall Creek Massacre. Now, what happened was that six white men murdered nine Seneca and Miami Indians and wounded another. And among the nine dead were three women and four children. When it was all said and done, uh, there were six men that were apprehended and tried, and some were executed. One of the men named John Bridge Jr. was sentenced to death by hanging for his part in the massacre. And he was to be executed on June 3rd, 1825. Now his father, John Bridge Sr., and another man named Andrew Sawyer, who was John Bridge Jr.'s uncle, were also to be executed that day. Now John Bridge Jr., along with a large crowd, um, they, they witnessed the hangings of his father and his uncle as the crowd waited expectantly for a pardon from the governor. And with no sign of a pardon, a sermon was preached as the crowd waited expectantly. Finally, John Bridge Jr. was led to the gallows and the rope was lowered over his head. But as the men waited for a signal, a cheer arose from the back of the crowd. And a stranger rode forward and looked at the condemned man in the face and he said, Sir, do you know in whose presence you stand? Bridge shook his head. There are but two powers known to the law that can save you from hanging by the neck until you're dead. One is the great God of the universe. The other is J. Brown Ray, governor of the state of Indiana. And the latter stands before you. Handing over the written pardon, the governor announced, you're pardoned. Point is, in an instant, what had looked like a hopeless situation became a door of hope. John Bridge Jr., he went back home. He he settled down. He opened a dry goods store, and he died peacefully 51 years later. Now, I relay this story this morning just to ask a couple of questions. Can you imagine the fear that must have gripped the heart of that young man as he watched his father and his uncle die, knowing that he was next? Can you imagine the terror as he was led onto the gallows and that noose was placed around his neck? You know, it must have been a moment of terror like few people have ever experienced. But as I was reading in the Bible, I know one person who had experienced that feeling. And this poor woman whose story is related in our text is that, is that person. She knew that kind of fear. And and as she's led trembling into the presence of Jesus, she knows in her heart she's about to die. And she's about to die a horrible death by stoning. However, her path had led her into the presence of the great God of the universe. And when she met him, we're going to see that everything changed forever. So I'd like for us to look in on this meeting with the master today. Why? Why? Well, because I want you to know 
that what Jesus did for this poor, wretched woman, he'll also do for you. You see, she came into the presence, into his presence as a condemned sinner. But she left his presence a changed woman with a new lease on life. If for no other reason, I think it's worth our time to investigate this matter this morning. Let's take a few minutes today to look at the passage as I share with you a meeting with the Master. And the first thing that I, I want you to see is that, as I said, she was a condemned sinner. Look at, uh, look at verse 3. It says, And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. Let's look at her sin. According to the narrative, she was actually caught in the very act of adultery. She was guilty before the face of the Lord and before the world. Now, adultery, it's a, it's a vile sin. But you know what? It's not any worse than any other sin. In fact, the book of James tells us, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. In fact, even if we never committed a sin with our bodies or our minds, it, it, it says we'd still be guilty. Romans 3.10, as it is written, There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Galatians 3.22 says, The scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. See, in actuality, every one of us is as guilty as this woman. Our problem, most of the time, is, is simply that we won't admit to it. You know, and, and Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covers his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Now, we've looked at her sin. She, uh, as I said, she was caught in the act of adultery. But I want you to think about her shame this morning. It says in, in verse 4, it says, They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. See, in their haste to bring this woman to Jesus, her accusers probably didn't even give her sufficient time to get properly dressed before they brought her into public. However, that may have been... She, in any case, she was humiliated by the public accusation and disclosure of her sin. She was caught in the very, very act. And when you get right down to it, all sin is a shameful thing. No matter how skillfully it's hidden from the eyes of men, no matter how skillfully we hide it, no matter what mask we put on, it's still a shameful thing. And the truth is, Jesus knows all about it anyway. And one day, it'll be revealed before all. You know, Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 2, He says, there, For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which you have spoken in the ear and closet shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. Saddest of all, the truth about your profession of faith will also be made public one day. 
Matthew 7, 21. Jesus says that not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. See, someday the, the mask we put on and the game we play with our faith is going to be open for all to see. It's going to be laid bare. Wouldn't it be far better to get it right with the Lord now and have nothing to fear one of those days? You know, there's coming a day of judgment and there's coming a day of full disclosure. It may not be in my lifetime, may not be in yours, but rest assured there is a day coming. Look at her sentence. John chapter 8, verse 5 the, the Pharisees now say to, uh, say to Jesus, says, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? See, her accusers, the, guys that, the guy that brought her in front of Jesus, were absolutely correct. According to the law, this woman deserved to die. Leviticus chapter 20. It says, And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Deuteronomy chapter 22. If a man be found lying with a woman married to a husband, then they shall, be, then they shall both of them die, both the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so shalt thou put away evil from, uh, from Israel. Now, we see in our text that the Pharisees have brought this woman before Jesus. And they've said, look, in the law, Moses in the law commanded us that this woman should be stoned. What do you got to say about it? There's one small problem here. Where's her partner? See, the, the scriptures said that both um, the adulterer uh, and uh, the the man and the woman have to appear. There's two. There, there's two that were participating in this. There's only one that showed up uh, uh, to the meeting. See, our text says that just the woman was brought before Jesus. As I said, both were supposed to die for this sin. Now, the man that wasn't there may have been part of this scheme to attack Jesus. And, and he very well may have been allowed to slip away. You take that out of the picture, nevertheless, this woman was guilty, and she did deserve to die, according to the law. You see, here's the point. Nobody gets away with sin. The penalty of sin always comes due. You may get away from it, and it may look like you've, you've got away from it, and there, there may not be any ramifications right now, but there's always going to be a payday. Look at Ezekiel chapter 18. The Lord says, All souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. As I said, there's going to come a payday. You may be living high, wide, and handsome right now, but there's, there's going to come a payday for what you're doing. 
And the only hope any of us has is to flee into the arms of Jesus. See, Jesus offers the only hope anyone has in this world or the one world to come. He is the only way. Hebrews chapter 2, it says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first uh, began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. He is the only way. There's nothing you can do on your own. In our text, though, in their effort to humiliate this woman and to discredit the Lord, they brought her actually to the best possible place they could have brought her. They brought her to the very man who could deal with her past and her, uh, her problem right now and who could make it all right. See, never think that Jesus doesn't care for you. He's the sinner's friend. He hates our sin, but he loves the sinner. Amen. See, even in his day, he was known to hang out with notorious sinners. Look at Luke chapter 7. It says, the son, uh, here's what Jesus said. He said, the son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, behold, a gluttonous man, a wine-bibber and a friend of publicans and sinners. Luke chapter 15. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Jesus proved his love and his friendship when he died at Calvary. You know, John chapter 15 says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now, who again was he a friend of? Oh yeah, the scripture says, publicans and sinners. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is not concerned about his reputation. He's only concerned with your eternal soul. I want you to see this cruel scheme that was going on. Let's look at uh, verse 3. It says, And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in, in, in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger he wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself, and he said unto him, He that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. Let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. So, let's look at this plan. They come up to him, and they say, Master, this woman was taken in adultery, in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you got to say about it? See, these men were attempting to pin Jesus on the horns of a dilemma. See, on one hand, if Jesus simply let the woman go, then he would have been seen as being easy 
on sin, and he could have been arrested for being in violation of the law. If, however, he gave permission for the woman to be killed, he could then be accused before Rome as an upstart and a seditionist, and he would have destroyed his reputation as being the friend of publicans and sinners. These Pharisees, they felt that no matter what Jesus said, he had absolutely no wiggle room. These religious men, when you, when you think about it, are just like all legalists in our day. They couldn't have cared less about this woman. They couldn't have cared less about her sin, her soul, her eternal destiny. All they cared about was pressing their agenda and their brand of righteousness. And you know, the truth is, if we, we look around, they haven't changed. All Pharisees are the same. But here's the problem. See, their plan might have succeeded with an ordinary man, but they were dealing with Jesus Christ. And he simply refused to play by the rules. See, when they tried to stump Jesus, they discovered that they'd met their match. Notice how he responded to their arguments. First off, Jesus just ignored them. It says in verse 6, it says, But Jesus stooped down while they're railing and, and arguing and shouting. It says, Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So while they were talking to the Lord, he takes and he kneels down and he begins to write on the ground. He had no use for their pettiness. He had no use for their lack of love. What did Jesus write? Oh, people have been asking, asking that for 2,000 years. They've been trying to solve this little mystery. Well, this morning I am going to give you a deep theological answer. I couldn't spell theological yesterday, and now I'm going to give you a theological answer. Y'all ready for it? I don't know. <laughs> and, and the truth is, and neither does anybody else. However, let me give you a, lo a little food for thought in this matter. Maybe, just maybe, because I do believe he wrote the scripture, but maybe, just maybe, he wrote the Ten Commandments. After all, it was his finger that wrote them the first time. Perhaps he wrote their names in fulfillment of Jeremiah 17.13. In Jeremiah 17.13, it says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed, and they that depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters." Maybe, just maybe, he wrote out Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10 that we read. Maybe he wrote out Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22 that we just read. Maybe, just maybe, he wrote the names of the girlfriends in the sand. Maybe he simply wrote forgiven. Whatever the Lord wrote on the ground, and we don't know what it is, it surely got their attention. It, 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 because it says they, they peeled out of there from the eldest to the first. By the way, he knows how to speak to your heart as well. But what did he do? He, at first he ignored them, and then 
It says that he exposed them. Look at John, uh, John chapter 8, verse 7. It says, so when they continued asking him, he lifted himself up and he said to him, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Now he was, he was down, he was writing. They kept on, he stood up and he says, he that is without, without sin, let him cast the first stone. And it says then, and again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. See, when Jesus finally did speak, he didn't just look up from the ground. He stood up and he says, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Now, now Jesus wasn't requiring that any judge be sinless. If that was the case, there, there, there's not a human in the world that would ever be able to render a judgment in any matter, even in a court of law. I think what Jesus may have been saying to these hypocrites was, he that is free from this particular sin, let him first cast a stone at her. See, in Jewish law, witnesses to the capital offense began the stoning. So, so when Jesus says, he uh, who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first, what he was really saying is like, all right, let's have an execution. Let's execute her. But let's do it right. One of the witnesses has to ha uh, have a hand in the execution. So who among you is the one who witnessed this crime? But only brought me the woman and not the man. I'm all for having an execution here. The law of Moses says we got to do it. But which one of you witnessed this and then bypassed the law? And Jesus makes it plain, whoever the witness is, whoever the one who has the right to cast that first stone, whoever he is, he is as guilty as the woman that was taken in adultery because of his hypocrisy. You see, adultery can be committed with the head and the heart surely as it may be committed with the body. And at this point, in, in our story, everything got quiet. It's one way to quiet in the temple. Everything, all the shouting came to a stop, and all that could be heard was the dropping of their rocks and the shuffling of their sandals as they slipped quietly away. You see, these men had been exposed before their fellow man, the accused lady. And most importantly, they had been exposed before the Lord. However, let's at least give them the credit for the fact that when they saw themselves as they really were, which is probably the most painful realization of all, they stopped calling for the death of this woman. See, I, I want you to know that one of the hardest things you can face is yourself as you really are. However, when you see yourself as you really are and you see yourself as being sinful, then you can actually do something about it. You ever thought about this? Even Paul, oh boy, that wrote, what, 80, 90% of the New Testament? 
Even Paul would have went to hell had he not been brought face to face with himself by Jesus on the road to Damascus. See, when we're convicted of our sins, then is the time to come to Jesus. Don't wait. You know, it, it, you, can't, you can't come face to face with Jesus and ever come out the same. You're always going to be changed. See, he's the only one who can deal with our sin problem. We, we can deal with a whole lot of other things, but he's the only one that can deal with that sin problem. See, I want you to see finally that there was a complete salvation here. Notice that Jesus faced her. John chapter 8, verse 9. It says, And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Now remember, Jesus had bent back down to write on the ground. The only person left is this woman. And it says in verse 10, When Jesus had lifted himself up and saw none but the woman. This woman came face to face with Jesus right here. He said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? Now up to this story, uh, up to this, this point, you know, it, the temple was a busy place. And now, it's not. And only Jesus could have cleared the temple in this fashion. And you know, the funny thing about it is, when the last rock had hit the temple floor, Jesus stood up and he faced this, simp uh, this sinful woman face to face. And as he stood before, he was the only one the world has ever known who was qualified to actually take up the first stone. As well, as well as the rest of the stones. And he was the only one who was qualified to actually stone her to death. And when she faced Jesus, she was facing the ultimate judge. See, she had, placed, uh, she had reached a place in her life where it was just her and Jesus. And you know what? It always comes down to that. You had that moment yet where it's just you and Jesus? Eventually, somewhere, someday, sometime, you're going to have to face Jesus. Eventually, somewhere, someday, sometime, you're going to have to bow to Jesus. Oh, I'm sure you've, uh, that he's given you opportunities. You know, we were reading this morning, um, even in the church of Thyatira, the, the prophetess Jezebel, as bad as it was, he gave her time to repent. His mercy and his, his, uh, his grace is just, it, it, it's not measurable. And I'm sure, just like in my life, he, he, he has given us the opportunity in this life to come to him. And I've got to ask the question, if you're not saved, what have you done with them? What have you done with these opportunities? See, my friends, you're either going to receive Jesus at one of life's encounters, or you're going to face him on judgment day. There's only two ways it can go. And the truth is, which would you rather it be? In the end, however, whichever you choose, 
It always comes down to just you and Jesus. And what you do with him will determine where and how you spend eternity. But notice what happens in our story. This woman, worthy of death, facing death. Jesus stands up. He looks her in the eye. He asks her a question. And in John chapter 8, verse 11, she says, No man, Lord, where are your accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she says in verse 11, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. The only one qualified to throw a stone refused to. Jesus dealt with her on a basis of grace. He deals with us on a basis of grace. These religious men had condemned her and, he, and, and considered her as good as dead. Jesus, however, saw someone worthy of his love and someone worth salvaging. Notice what Jesus said to her. He says, neither do I condemn thee. You know, when, when we come to um, Jesus by faith, they, we, we receive forgiveness for all of our sins, past, present, future. We actually receive complete liberation from all condemnation. Amen. Roman 8.1, there, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. See, the truth is, anyone, and I'm an anyone, I'm a whosoever, I love those words. But anyone who wants to be saved can be saved through faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Look at John chapter 6. Jesus said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that, all, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. I was in anyone. You're in anyone. I was a whosoever. You're a whosoever. Truth is, if you want it, it's available. Amen. Notice what Jesus did to this woman. He freed her. This woman was was facing the death penalty. She was facing the end of her life. And Jesus said in verse 11, says, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. Now, now one could argue and, and have that Jesus only pardoned her from the crime she had been accused of. And you know what? There's, there's, there's merit uh, to their argument. In either case, however, she got a new life. And I'd submit that, that there is more that happened here than her just being saved from a horrible death by stoning. Now, all of this, of course, is conjectural. My part is she isn't ever mentioned again in the Bible. But I do know this, and I know this personally, and I, I know this from testimony, um, and, and that no person is ever the same after meeting with Jesus. You know, all of, this, all of her life, this woman, she'd been subject to the God of this world. She'd been a prisoner of her own lust and, and her own desires. Jesus, however, came and unlocked them shackles that held her bound in sin, and he set her free. He did more than save her from a rock hitting her in the head. 
think about how her life changed. Think about her years later. You know, a family she would have never had if she hadn't met Jesus. See, Jesus specializes in taking wasted, ruined lives and saving them by his grace and restoring them to useful. He takes the ugly, broken stuff and he turns it into something useful and beautiful. And and every person who comes to Jesus receives this new lease on life. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. See, See, we get a chance to begin again in Christ. And when we do, this time, we actually have a chance of making something out of our lives. We look here, this woman got a fresh start. Whether she was saved eternally or not, and you could, you could argue the merit of it, she got a fresh start on life. She was, uh, she was dead. She was convicted when they brought her before. Everything had changed. Everything was brand new. You know, and, and Jesus has a way of seeing things that are not as though they were. You know, in other words, he didn't see this woman as she was. He saw her as she could become through him. Each one of us, we come to him, uh, it, it, he sees us as we're going to be. And when he looks at each one of us, he sees the potential in our lives. Just like he did with this woman, he sees us as we can be, all we can be through him. Maybe like this woman, your your life has been wrecked and, and ruined by sin. Maybe you've been hurt by religious people. Maybe you're you're looking for a compassionate savior, savior. One who's going to make everything right. If you are, I invite you to come to Jesus. He cares about you just as you are. He loves you and He wants to save you. He wants to deliver you from the bondage that's that's wrecking you. He wants to pardon you. He wants to set you free. Therefore, He invites you to come to Him. Don't wait. Come to Him today. You know, I was reminded of a story as I was doing this. There was a gentleman named George Wilson. And he was sentenced to hang after he was convicted of killing a guard while robbing a federal payroll from a train. Now, public sentiment against capital punishment led to an eventual pardon by President Andrew Jackson. But unbelievably, Wilson refused to accept the pardon. And I had to ask myself, can someone do that? Now, the case became so legally confusing that the Supreme Court had to rule on it. And Chief Justice John Marshall delivered the verdict. And he said this, he said, A pardon is a parchment whose only value must be determined by the receiver of the pardon. It has no value apart from that which the receiver gives it. George Wilson Wilson has refused to accept the pardon. 
We can't conceive why he would do so, but he has. Therefore, George Wilson must die. Consequently, Wilson was hanged. My point here in that story is this. God's grace becomes a pardon from sin only to those who receive it. If you've never been saved, if you've never trusted Jesus as your personal Savior, you're still lost in your sins. And you're headed to hell. And you're in terrible danger. But there's a pardon available if you will have it. You see, Jesus, and let me finish with this thought. You see, Jesus, the same gracious Savior who intervened in this woman's life, this same Savior who changed everything for her, went to a cross at a place called Calvary. And there he died on that cross. And when he died, he was dying for you. He was dying that you might live. Three days after he died, he rose from the dead. And now he invites you to come to him by faith for salvation. And if you come, he will receive you. He's not going to turn you away. And he will save you. And the truth is, we'd love to help you with that. Ask us today about those classes so that you too can have a meeting with the Master. Pastor. Let's stand together. How many times, how many times has the Lord offered to pardon you? And finally, finally, you said, I accept. You know, we can be so stubborn sometimes. Can't we, Bubba? I witnessed to Bubba for 25 years before he was willing to listen. Some of you have been unwilling to listen for longer than that. Maybe one, maybe two, I don't know. And I, and I could be wrong because I can't see your heart. But uh, I know the Lord doesn't send messages where there's not a need and a reason. And this message is pretty simple. This was talking about a situation with the law and with the Pharisees and with an attack that was taking place against Jesus by them. This woman was used as a pawn. That's what Satan does with us, you know. He uses us as his little little tool. The battle is between Jesus and the devil, and Jesus has already won the war. But the devil keeps coming up with battles, and every time he does with a new one, he wants to use you in the fight. Neither do I condemn thee, Jesus said. You know, he told us that. He told us that concerning each other, all of us, in John chapter 3. 
He said, I did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And then he explained why he said that. He said, because he that believeth not is condemned already. You're, you, you, you get implanted in influenced by, by the religious world. Every day somebody's talking about what they think about Jesus, what they think about God, what they think about judgment, what they think about the future. You're not going to stand before God and find out if you made it. You already did not make it. Do you understand what condemned condemned means? It means you've already been judged and you've already been sentenced and the sentence has already been recorded for the wages of sin is death and that's what you're, that's what you're facing. The only we're not, we're not talking about Jesus just taking your sin away. We're talking about Jesus has taken your sin upon himself. Justice, for, for God to just let that woman be an adulteress, remain an adulteress, and that's her life, and that's not, that's not justice. Justice is death. And the only reason Jesus could pardon that woman was because he was going to pay the debt for him, for her himself, which he did shortly thereafter. I, I can't imagine why someone would hang on to a religious system that has no merit whatsoever, makes no sense whatsoever, when this pardon that's recorded in the Word of God it's laid out for you again and again and again and again. You know, it's, it's one thing to stand in front of God one day and for somebody to say, Lord, nobody told me. Of course, it's not going to be true because the Lord has revealed his creation in himself, even his eternal power and Godhead to everyone on earth. Every thinking adult, every sane adult on earth has been shown that there really is a God. And so nobody's going to get to be able to say, I, I wasn't told. But can you imagine what it's going to be like to stand before the Lord and remember how many times you were told again and again and again and again and how many times Jesus was exalted and honored and glorified for his willingness to take his this sin burden upon himself and pay my debt and yours, all of us, and know that, and having heard that and been taught that and known that it was true. I think the word fool will take on a brand new definition at that point. I'm not sure what the Lord spoke to your heart about today. But this is the time to do something about it.
Nobody, nobody needs to go to hell. Nobody. The debt has been paid. You can't pay it, but you can receive it. We're going to sing Blessed Assurance. Blessed I have that.